0: this episode of super pulp science is brought to you by comrade comics you can find us on instagram at comrade comics issue two is launching december 6th at Bareface general store from five to nine in the exchange
1: attention citizens it's time for super pulp science Hello, this is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. We've got a full house here today, producer Dan, suffering co-host Justin, and we've finally broken the curse. Matthew Dick is here after us yo-yoing him on at least eight different occasions (laughs) for being on the podcast. Thank you for putting up with our horrible scheduling. Oh, no problem at all. Welcome. Um, In full disclosure, Matthew has had to travel a very long way yeah. To get here, dear listener. Um all the way from the down the hall. Fifth, third floor. Third, oh, third floor. floor. Okay. Yeah, all the way from floor. the third floor. Yeah. Whew. Now are you allowed to name your uh capt- I mean employer?
0: I, I think so, yeah. yeah. Tripwire media. Tripwire group. media, yeah. Okay.
1: So Matthew is a comics maker, a writer, an illustrator, all kinds of things. Um let's jump right into it. Matthew, why comics?
0: Oh, okay. I should have been prepared for this question uh so
1: we'll stare at you more intently okay. to help that relax helps. you that
0: helps i love the pressure more please
1: um so i uh
0: grew up i loved i loved drawing um more I, pressure. I was uh <laughs> greg just drew an evil face on his coffee cup and it's very menacing now i'm pointing okay. it at
1: him for more pressure
0: so I, I grew up, I, I loved uh, watching Saturday, Saturday morning cartoons. I loved uh, buying comic books from the convenience stores when my family would take long trips. I grew up in northern Manitoba and Thompson. My family would travel south to see family and along the way we'd stop at these little convenience stores in the middle of nowhere and they'd usually have a little comic section. and so Oh, a spinner rack. Yeah. Oh, and, I remember uh, the spinner rack. I would I would find these X-Men comics it was like zero tolerance was the uh, was I think the storyline that was going on at the time and my mind was just blown I was like I love the X-Men the animated series but this stuff is like it's so adult it's so gritty it's so real and uh, so I would just, you know, myself and my brothers would just beg my parents uh, for comic books to read along the way. And so uh, that really started my, my love for comics. Is, so for, uh,
1: for me to really understand the timeline here, what was the cover price of the comics at that time? Oh man, I can't remember. Was probably, this the 125 era or had
0: that jumped? Probably 125, 150 maybe or, or 2 I'm bucks. old enough
1: to remember the jump from 88 cents a dollar dollar twenty five yeah oh that hit my bank <laughs> yeah heavy <laughs> that like that heavy cut the number of comics you can oh, have yeah and, and then suddenly it's like the speculator market among friends where they were like i'm gonna buy the hulks so i can read them but i know that gary really likes hulk so he'll trade me for his x-men that he has before. oh man That's bad nice yeah. yeah
0: so uh it all kind of started there for me and uh um, I, when I was growing up, I would, uh, I would draw characters. Like my friends would say, can you draw me a Spider-Man? Can you draw me this? Can you draw me that? And, uh, so that was my, uh, my, my popularity all came from being used by other people to draw
1: cool things. <laughs> so um, how did you get into drawing though? Like, was that a thing you were already doing and then you found comics or did comics ignite that desire? Uh,
0: yeah, that's a good question. I, I I'm not I'm not sure where it came from. I think uh, there was just always a kind of a pencil in my hand and a blank piece of paper in front of me, and I wanted to I wanted to make cool things. I think um, there's this sor- sort of uh, uh, pressure I've always felt, and I've talked to other artists about this too. Uh, when you see something by another artist that you think is like really fantastic, really cool, it, it's almost a little painful. It gives you this little. Oh twinge in the back of my brain and it it just makes me so jealous of of what they've made and what they're able to make um and it makes me want to just grab a, a pencil and a piece of paper and start creating something cool
1: so it doesn't slow you down it um, fires you up it well it can do both so yeah. it's a
0: dangerous thing when you when you have that feeling i think it it's this uh this impulse to uh Maybe it's a it's a bit competitive, too. I'm not sure. But it can slow you down. It can cripple you, actually. I've been I've created massive Pinterest boards uh, of all these different inspirations. And I thought, if I just keep gathering, if I just keep gathering inspiration, gathering inspiration, it's going to somehow transform into something really cool that, that I will love as much as I love
2: this artwork. But at a certain uh, point, you just get overwhelmed by how good mm-hmm. everybody is. And
0: yeah. it's a little debilitating. It is totally yeah. debilitating. Debilitating. And I had to learn that uh, when I feel that, that pinch in the back of my brain, um, that it's usually I, I'm having that reaction because I'm learning something. Uh, and it's, it's, it, it's painful to learn things. It's information like rushing into your brain when you feel pain, right? Uh, and it's painful when you see uh, someone's really mastered something that you know you haven't yet. Uh, it's not
2: You're not just seeing one of it. You're usually seeing their entire portfolio. Mm-hmm, so it's like you're seeing yeah. 10, seeing their 10 best to 20 years of work you can absorb in a couple mm-hmm. seconds. And then there's eight other artists linked to it who have the same thing. So yeah. it's, mm-hmm. it's yeah, a lot. So how do you navigate that? Because you're big on the mood board. You build. But I yeah, know. I get to that same point. Um, I know when to kind of cut myself off. Pinterest what, is bad. How do you know, though? You
1: both have said you know, but I want to know how you know. How, how does you that start to feel
2: start... crappy about yourself? I think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at a certain point, yeah, you've gotten so much reference and you're overwhelmed, and you're starting to feel bad about yourself. Usually, so as, so as practical <laughs> advice here, you're saying that when that moment of exhilaration starts to
1: throttle down, get off before it turns into sadness. Now, there's,
2: there's such a thing as too much good artwork. Yeah. at a time. Yeah, I think
1: what
0: I've uh, learned is that when I have that feeling and I see that, I need to actually take a breath and really study that piece and figure out, okay, what techniques are they using uh, or what ideas have they incorporated into this that is causing me to feel this way which is a it's a good thing like being inspired should feel really great um but it's it's the compare and despair thing that makes you that drags you down so i just try to focus on you know the the hatching is is incredible on this piece and that's what's really making this come to life or even just the silhouette the way this character is posed right now is brilliant it says so much about what that character is really like in this world and so that's when i just kind of stop and say okay They've done brilliantly with this and this and that. Um, And maybe I can incorporate that into my next piece. Dan?
1: Yeah. Yes. You work at a school. I do. Why don't they teach us about compare and despair at school? They just show us over and over the greats.
2: There's a comparison to be made here like with social media. Like if you went out with a friend for coffee and she told you about her vacation, that's great. But when you go through Instagram and Facebook and every other person you know on vacation. is on an adventure, like that doesn't make you feel good after 40 minutes of scrolling through all that, right? Yeah, while well, you're like standing
1: you, in your kitchen. Yeah, mm-hmm. flipping through.
3: You know. I, I, to answer your question, I don't know.
2: It's compared to...
1: But, why, but so I wonder if there's something in this because school the codification of education is about gathering great examples we build in
3: i don't always do that though i often will use bad examples as well okay i I use both when i'm teaching uh, i'm like here's a good example here's a bad example try and get somewhere in the middle (laughs) that's kind of (laughs) what you're going for so that's that's something i I often do i'll say hey here's what you don't want to do play something like usually for me it's audio because i teach radio and podcasting and stuff so yeah, I'll I'll give some bad examples so, so students can learn from that as well.
1: And I wonder if there's room for us to do give more bad examples in education because mm-hmm. we tend mm-hmm. to show people like the great works of literature, art, music, science. No eighteen-year-old can do those things mm-hmm. yet. Yeah, I think and it's and that gap is maybe too big.
0: Mm-hmm. I th- I think it's uh, uh, the problem with we we often want to look at. The greatest successes yeah. uh, in any field, right? So, uh, you know, a, a film buff wants to watch Scorsese's and, and Tarantino and, and Villeneuve and all these these right. great uh, auteurs, um, and then and bay. the but the ones yeah. who uh, me. <laughs> and Bay, <laughs> you can cut that part, right? Yeah, I will. <laughs> we'll <cut that> <laughs> But uh, um, it's important, like, the, the ones who actually end up becoming directors themselves are the ones who pick up their camera and go out and right. do it and try to incorporate that into their work. So I think focusing on great examples and bad examples is excellent because you should be able to learn from both and get closer and closer to the, not the rules, but um, the, the principles
1: of, of the work. Somebody help me! I'm being spontaneous! Spontaneous! <laughs> Now, full disclosure: You guys were at the college at the same time. Uh, Matt, Matt, mm-hmm.
3: Matthew was a student when I was an instructor. I think he only had me for one class, yeah, right? social, social media, social media yeah. class. Mm-hmm. But uh, but he also did a, uh, his first comic book was done as a project, and that was your right. first, right? Yes, yeah. So so Winterpeg was done as oh, a uh, project in the second year of, of creative communications. Students will do a kind of a major project in their second year. And I just repeated myself twice. Um, and uh, and Matthew you taught did, at the School of Redundancy School. Yes. <laughs> Matthew uh, created a comic book, a single issue of Winterpeg, which you drew inked everything. You did yeah. everything, colored everything yourself. Yeah. And that tell was quite that. quite a, a project.
1: Yeah, and, uh, yeah, Just to really underline for the envy, the people we're talking about, like how envy can be bad. Right. So the people who are at school who have to do not making comics, who want to make comics, tell them the story about how you turn school into a way to make comics as a final project.
0: Sure, I'd love to. Yeah. Um, Let's
1: fire up that envy. Industry. Yeah,
0: so I, I took the creative communications program at Red River College, and uh, I knew going into it that in the second year, uh, a, a big part of it is you you—you take uh, a lot of time towards an independent professional project. Uh, that's a way for the school to kind of give you free reign to do something you're passionate about uh, and actually turn it into a viable, not so much business plan, but a, a project that has real results at the end of the day. Um, and so I knew going into it, I really wanted it to be a comic book because I had, tried and, and failed to make a, a comic uh, a couple years prior. Tell us about that. Hold on. Don't uh, jump over.
1: Don't gloss over. I don't want okay,
0: uh, so failed, failed comic uh, was uh, called Antarctica and it was about a forgotten race of yetis uh, that mm-hmm. ruled over a, pre, uh, a prehistoric Antarctica before snow had covered the land
1: doesn't sound like a failure to me.
0: Uh, it, was, I mean, <laughs> well, for didn't, it didn't get made, so that's why it's a failure. It didn't, didn't get made. I, I created a, a bunch of concept art, and that was actually the, the best learning experience I've ever had was uh, failing at making that comic because I started to truly appreciate how much uh, planning goes into uh, making a comic. I thought, you know, I've got an idea for this scene. These characters will be in it. The background will kind of look like this. Let me just start making some stuff. Right. Maybe I'll just start making some artwork. I'll figure out the story later. I'll figure and you out. Learn the, the difference between later. concept and
1: story. Yes. Right. Yetis yes. ruling uh, prehistoric Antarctica. Cool concept. <laughs> What's mm-hmm. the story
0: though? Exactly. What's the story? Yeah. And I think, um, you know, when I started making Winter Peg, uh, I was far more deliberate about it. But again, I, there were so many things that I did uh, that I would never do again, um, just in terms of, you know, having enough character art to, to base every frame off of and having a fully realized story in my mind. Because at that time, I hadn't uh, done any story training. I, I was just kind of going by my gut. And I think uh, I I have a pretty good gut, <laughs> but uh, there's only so it, it can only get you so far. And so the I mean for the the last year and a half, two years, I've devoted my life entirely to uh, to storytelling and to from my day job to uh, to my independent work. Right, all storytelling, because uh, that's what I find is is the thing that I, is lacking in the books that I read is. Um, the, the artwork can be amazing, but uh, if I don't care about the characters, if it isn't telling a compelling story, uh, I'm just, I can't hang in there.
1: So give me an example of a practice that you undertake to learn more about story and to try to build story. And like this is for the dear listener that says, OK, yeah, that's great to tell me that you're doing that. Mm-hmm. But how do I do that? Oh, this is uh, it's it's messy
0: for me. Um, so. Uh, for me, I think uh, when I'm trying to think of a story that I want to tell, it often begins as just a premise and a premise is, is not really a story. It's kind of like, this is the kind of person who lives in this kind of world and uh, they, they might want something or they, you, you might have some idea of, of how this conflict is going to enter their life and, and, and change them. Um, but it's not really, uh, it's not a story yet. Um, you know, a, uh, a, uh, an author who's kidnapped by his greatest fan is is a great premise. Uh, and then Stephen King was able to make that into an incredible story right. as well. So um, I think that's kind of where story begins for me is um, I, I have this premise in my mind, uh, and but then I really need to dig into character before it becomes a story. And that's something I think that's critical that I've learned, uh, is uh, uh, everything from the story has to come from the character first. If it's not grounded in that character, then uh, it's, it's just too ethereal, it's, it's, it's not uh, relatable, and it's not, uh, it's not as understood instinctively by the reader.
2: Yeah, there's tons of stories out there where, on paper, sounds like it should be great, yeah. but when you watch that movie or read that book and it doesn't land... Yeah, you...
1: You wonder you, what the missing element is. Yeah, yeah
2: like, uh what was it? Joaquin Phoenix, he fell in love with his phone. Her? Mm, mm-hmm. She. She, she.
3: Oh, her. Her, her is right <laughs> Okay.
2: Um, that idea, like if somebody was to pitch you that out of the blue, okay, I want to do a story where a guy falls in love with, like, the AI on his phone. Right. You'd think that's the dumbest thing. Well,
1: <laughs> it's not enough. What I would first say is, like, okay, that's thin. Yeah. But you need, you need a you need an actor of the caliber to they, bring pathos. Right? They just
2: retold that story with the um, the guy from Workaholics, um, where it's like Siri, but she's right. like, yes, yeah. yeah. It was like a forgettable. Netflix. I wonder if
1: um, the filmmakers of the new Joker, who also had a very thin script, were yeah. like, you know what we need with our thin script is someone who can take a thin script and make it great. Well, let's get Joaquin Phoenix. Maybe then. And not give
2: him the script. Just tell him to be the Joker and we'll film it and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We're just, yeah. Uh, but so this yeah. is the
1: difference between premise. Premise and story. And, story. Mm-hmm. and then you as a storyteller
0: need to decide, well, what is your unique perspective yeah. on this premise? Yeah.
1: Because um, the premise, like if we take Joker and take that apart, the premise is somebody falls in love with a, with a night talk show host. Wants to be him, can't be him, so decides to kill him, right? I, ha- I haven't seen it yet, man. Neither have right. no. <laughs> I. But uh, that's
3: very similar to the uh, what's the Scorsese film, King of Comedy. It's mm-hmm. also,
1: mm-hmm. but imagine it's Taxi Driver doing yeah. all that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's
3: funny because Robert De Niro is in all yeah, those yeah. movies. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. That's all. the time. That's, so, a ton, that's a common, so it's like right. meta.
1: It's premise and all that. So, c- so we're coming back to the to some themes that run through your work. So what mm-hmm. I'm sensing now, too, in your Antarctica story, you had snow. Mm-hmm. The learning how to do snow well became Winterpeg, right? Learning how to do character better became Toba. Is that what I'm um
0: sensing? Well, Toba was more of a reaction to Winterpeg. So Winterpeg was uh, a very kind of grim story about the last surviving family in, in Winnipeg. It's, you know, this, these two uh, sisters and their grandmother, and uh, they're just trying to eke out an existence hunting ravens in the snow-covered, winnipeg and these uh cannibals come into town and hunt them down and so uh it was it was really uh negative uh, <laughs> well it, it was very cynical it was a very cynical story um i think uh and i loved all of the characters in it uh even even the ones who hardly show up and have a brutal death i absolutely loved every one of them which i think is also important but uh I think you
1: could make it into a good short film
0: I think so. Right yeah. now, I'm having
1: yeah. a connection moment. Electric Monk has been talking about doing a winter short film and needing a good script for it. Mm-hmm. Let's pass them winter peg. Yeah, I would do uh, what happens. I would do that in a heartbeat for yeah. sure. Let's um, do that because then the storyboards are done. Yeah, yeah.
0: right. Um, yeah, I, would, I, I mean, I'd be thrilled. Um, that's one of my great goals in life is to. Uh, do the comic book and make the comic book into a film because that's kind of the other side of my passion.
1: The whole world is watching. We can't let him die in front of a live audience. He was born in front of a live audience.
0: Winterpeg was was rather grim and cynical. And uh, as soon as that was done, I really struggled with what to do next because I didn't have that structure in my life anymore of going to Red River College and having that be a real project.
1: Somebody else was setting the deadlines and that was good for you. Yeah, that was very good for me.
0: Yeah, I, I thrive with structure. Um, But uh, without that, I kind of struggled, what am I going to do? And then an opportunity came up uh, with the University of Winnipeg uh, newspaper, the Uniter, they were looking for comic submissions. And so I thought, great, I can do a strip, I can do a three panel strip. It's a low commitment, uh, and I could really uh, have fun and play around with it. So I just let my imagination kind of run wild. Uh, And funny thing about imagination is sometimes you come up with a character who's Totally been done before, right. um, but as long as you kind of have a unique twist on it, it's good. So I came up with uh, with Toba as uh, as just this. Looking this at you, Rob Liefeld. <laughs> um, so to- Toba, uh, my my first idea for this character is what if what if this character always has a lit joint in every single panel that he's in, and that was just a really dumb idea. Um, but you know I. <laughs> sometimes I just love running with a dumb idea and just seeing where it goes, which I I think is a fun practice. Um, but what that character evolved into is, uh, just this kind of, uh, this kind of character He's almost a cross of like snake Pliskin and, uh, Kurt Russell's character from overboard. So two Kurt Russell's kind of crossed into (laughs) one. He's just, see, there's a premise that's got bank in Hollywood. You're ready. I've got it.
1: It's two Kurt Russells in one (laughs) movie.
0: Uh, For for people who are into anime, I'd say like if you think of Lupin the Third or uh, Space Adventure Cobra, uh, that kind of character, very uh, nonchalant, lackadaisical, very fun, kind of a jester archetype who's having a good time no matter what's going on, even when what's going on is a crazy, death-defying adventure. Um, So he's just kind of floating through the story in a way. Um,
1: I guess so again like smoke n- from the tip of, <laughs> that's right yeah that
0: the again. first the first three panels are Toba's exhaling out of a cab window and he's just having this kind of casual conversation with the cab driver and then the final panel you see that the cab is a floating cab very fifth element right and uh, there's a giant wanted sign with Toba's face on it uh, that they're flying past um So that was just kind of the start for Toba, and uh, it was just a character, like, I I really just fell in love with the character as soon as I, he kind of formed in my mind, I just wanted to, to explore that a little bit. Now,
1: Toba has a very uh, Mobius feel, like a very Mm -hmm. European comics feel, is that an intentional influence? Yeah, very intentional, yeah. Yeah. So it's good though, like, not Mm -hmm. in a, it doesn't feel like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, it's not an echo of that. Right. right. It's like a voice in that world. It's nice. You're one more in the orchestra. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, it's funny. It's, you know, those French comics inspire uh, uh, Fifth Element and then I watch Fifth Element as a child and that inspires me. I get into Mobius as a result and then it all kind of flows. And you're into the inkwell and then you're having an
1: existential crisis and then (laughs) you're watching Jodorowsky's Dune and then you're a warrior.
0: Yeah, my childhood is just one ongoing existential crisis.
1: So what... Is comrade.
0: Comrade is uh, is something I'm really excited about because it was something that um, was an idea floating around in my mind for a long time. It was really simple. Uh, it was just uh, finding local comic creators to create short stories and then compiling them into a little book that you could sell in local stores. Um, uh, so it's something that, like I said, kind of just floated around in my mind for a long time because what I discovered through Winterpeg is that there are a lot of people creating cool stuff yeah. uh, in Winnipeg um, and, uh, and there's stuff happening uh, locally um, but not on a I guess not on a grassroots product level, sure. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so something that people can pop into a store and get their hands on and discover new artists uh, who are local. Um, none that I found anyway, I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, that was the idea for Comrade is let's just get people who already know each other through the comic book circuit and uh, and just develop something that's very freeing because I, I wanted a project that... I could just kind of play around with, you know, which I think is tough. When you're making a comic, you really have to commit yourself to a lot of planning, a lot of prepping. It takes so much work. You start thinking this needs to be just the greatest story
1: I've ever told. And then you struggle against the three page curse, which we've talked about on previous episodes, right? Mm -hmm. You can get Mm -hmm. sort of your premise together, but then it's done. But what Comrade would present is a platform for people who are getting started, have struck the three page curse They've put all their love and soul into a few pages they don't know what to do with. They have a place to put it, right? Because it could go into Conrad. Well, yes
0: and no. I would say I still expect contributors to have uh, something that the reader can feel is complete in that. So you want a full short story. A full short story is great. Uh, Matt Ethan is doing an ongoing series that are based on his dreams. So it's very surreal and beautiful, right. and, and it's pretty incredible work. That's been an ongoing one. That'll be in the new issue. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that contributors can uh, not just kind of do book previews, but do little, uh, little stories that uh, can live on their own. Um, and just as a way to play, you know, as a sure. way to just kind of, well, here's something I would never do a full-length story about, because I don't know what I would do with it. But in six pages, I could do something really fun with yeah. these characters. And Let me it.
1: ask you a uh, nuts and bolts question. Mm-hmm. Who owns it after?
0: Uh, who owns it after? So um, that's that's a great question. So right now we're just taking all of the proceeds that we get from book sales and just rolling that into the next issue or book launch events.
1: Um, so because it's not like a million seller, it's just exactly a thing that's running. As like a, it's like yeah, like an indie band kind of exactly right? yeah.
0: So uh, so right now all the proceeds are going are just going back into the book. Um but uh we're just starting to uh give contributors an opportunity to buy into the print run so they could have their own copies to sell at events. Cool. How
1: yes. can we help this project? I like it.
0: Um well uh you could help by contributing. You guys can help by contributing. And the Whoa. listeners
1: And Dan, what can you do? <laughs> FanQuest. Can we do something about this at FanQuest? Sure. We should do some kind of call because all the people that show up at FanQuest, right? Yeah, absolutely. Have this aspiration. And I think that's
0: actually the perfect place for Comrade to be. So yeah, I'm. I'm there will very likely be a Comrade table at FanQuest. Excellent. The last Fan no, Quest. that's
1: good to hear. Yeah. Let's all be comics together, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> After last week's cheesing episode where the whole world is on fire, I'd rather build something. Yeah.
0: yeah. So uh, there's, there's a few places in the Exchange District where you can pick up a copy. Friday nights, yeah. uh, Gary Street Coffee, Comic Factory, uh, and a few other places. Yeah. So what's what, my plug? I you, apologize. No, that's good. No, that's a good
1: plug. Uh, your plug is related to helping others uh, fulfill their lifelong ambition of telling stories. So we uh, thoroughly endorse that. Let me come back around to school because I have Dan here. Right. Okay. What is a thing that you think both of you, either of you think would have helped prepare you more for what you want to do hmm. now? Now that you see what you want to do, mm-hmm. how could school have helped sooner?
3: We're talking like, uh, like uh, high school? You I don't know. Like-
1: you tell me. I leave it open. You're a father, so you have young children who are in the regular school system. I also do that. Justin, you know, he might have kids all over this planet. We're not sure. <laughs> <laughs> that was unkind. <laughs> Justin is a serial monogamist. It's, it's, oh. it's tough
3: because I didn't really decide I didn't settle on what I wanted to do until I was in my 30s. Like I, I went through a long uh, um, line of like retail jobs I worked at blockbuster video because I loved movies. you know that's <laughs> it's the kind of thing you look for when you, yeah. when you, when you have these passions but you don't really have a way. I never thought about making comics because I could never draw and I just never it never occurred to me to write down ideas for stories and stuff but um, and that's why I did fan because I like to celebrate these things but I do it as creating an event
2: get away see
1: some of the world explore you said you never occurred to you to write them down I've heard that phrase from hundreds of people that I've talked to about their creative product that it just never occurred to them what is going on in society at large that we have created a class system where only certain people are allowed to write down and share their ideas no, it's not about- everybody. Shouldn't we be telling every kid, write down your ideas, develop your ideas? Maybe they're no good. This is not what I'm saying. I'm not yeah. saying every kid is a special snowflake. <laughs> I'm saying, right, special snowflake. what I'm saying is that this is a skill, not a talent.
3: Yeah. Right. And it doesn't just apply to making comics. It applies to everything you this do, right? When you have a good idea, write it down. That's kind of a good practice. And you
1: identified that you had to work at your storytelling. Mm-hmm. right yeah. work at it you didn't say well i wasn't born with this perfect talent to write an excellent sonnet and so i give up
0: oh no not at all yeah, right. yeah. yeah a lot of work i, I spend uh, at least uh, an hour a day i'd say studying uh storytelling um and yeah i mean to, to your question about why are people not writing down their ideas i think a lot of people exit school uh with this feeling that their ideas aren't worth anything Right. Well um, they aren't really. They and but the practice they, is they aren't, has but that value. doesn't mean that they aren't worth capturing. That's what I'm um, saying, yeah. But yeah, I have got a little book at my desk uh, that's just for ideas. Pages and pages and pages and pages of worthless ideas.
1: Dangerous, that fill up and becomes that mm-hmm. real soon, in a week or so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Greg just pointed to a massive stack of documents. Yeah, of books uh, that are exactly that. Just pages and pages of bad ideas. Mm-hmm.
0: And and some of them honestly were just rabbit holes. I just I just went down crazy rabbit holes. Um, one of the stories in Comrade is called Cohen. It's an issue one. And, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, uh, this Buddhist tale of, of, uh, a wise master who, uh, stands up against this terrible warrior. Um, and that I, you know, when, it, once I started reading Cohen's, I was like, this is brilliant storytelling. These are beautiful stories with amazing lessons that are sometimes really hard to actually glean, you know, like you watch an episode of a TV series. Oftentimes, you know, it's like, well, this is the moral of the story, boys right. and girls. Um, with Coens, it was like, wow, there's there's wisdom in these. And so I thought, oh, I would love to make these these Coens into into a, a graphic novel. And so I thought, okay, well, all will have this character, and this character will will find this master, and, and this this will be the villain. And and I was just kind of grabbing ideas from these Coens and then you know completely bastardizing what they are right uh so what i ended up doing in, in comrade was just illustrating a,
1: a complete Coen. you picked in six one. pages i just picked one that i loved so you resisted the producer trope of here's 10 issues with great ideas we'll jam it all into one movie yeah you just yeah. picked one and stuck yeah. with it
0: but it took about a year so yeah. the danger in, in having that little book of ideas is that you can go down a rabbit hole. Oh. And so what I did, I've got a, I've got a different book. Uh, this is a book where I write down all of the lessons I'm learning. So as I'm watching videos from Film Courage or from Readsy or all of the amazing YouTube channels that are out there where you can learn this stuff, I have this other book. And this other book is kind of a mix. So I'm writing down all of these uh, lessons that I'm learning and then on a the page right next to it i'm putting those into practice with the characters i'm developing
1: interesting we have that in common i Mm -hmm. have a uh, it's in the it's a cloud document so i can get at it wherever i am or whenever i am but it's a list of things that i've learned Mm -hmm. that i add to and i revisit and sometimes i'm like oh i actually thought i learned that clearly i have not i should (laughs) Mm -hmm. think about that more i should do that more develop that idea more and i
0: think it goes back to that that pain in in the back of my brain when I see something that I love is that I don't part the part of the pain comes from I don't understand how they did what they did it's amazing like when you watch a, a movie um that that just kind of resonates with you in a really powerful way like I think of the scene where uh in Mad Max Fury Road where Charlize Theron's character her knees buckle underneath her and the sand is just blowing past her and she just screams at the sky and you can't even hear her scream because the music is swelling. It's like the world is closing in on her. And I hardly any dialogue had been even spoken in that movie before that scene occurred. Right. Like she says very few words, but her character is so um, is is so I don't want to say layered, but truthful. That that scene is very powerful. Because she's lost that one thing she was hanging on to. Right. Uh, and so that's, I, th- I think that movie is a, is a fantastic example of using amazing structure um, and, and archetypes to tell a story with very few words but still really resonates with people.
1: Which is what comics do, right? You can set mm-hmm. up an entire mm-hmm. genre world without having to explain any of it. Mm-hmm or go into the details of it we did this with well we've we're doing it in dragon nanny now and we're doing it in uh oldest salt strongest see we're using the visuals to tell the story of the world without having to didactically explain any of it mm-hmm.
0: yeah and i think when you uh that's that's just kind of uh it's a uh, easy trap to fall into i think when you're a new writer. I mean, I, I chose to go for the escape from New York method. I just had a black page with text, right. uh, which part of me actually loves. Uh, is, is just that kind of approach of the
1: year is 1999. Yeah. And <laughs> anyway, the world 80, is this way. Yeah, that's right. All uh, 80s genre fans know that screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right.
0: yeah. So part of it was an homage to that, but part of it was just me as a writer not understanding how I can work those details into a natural situation that takes place within the world. Whoa. Yeah. And so I think great screenplays tend to work in those little hints. Um, the same rule applies for, for advertising. Uh, if you are just kind of flatly saying what you mean, Uh, our eyes glaze over. We don't really care. It's the subtext that that really sells it. So when a character enters the scene and says, I'm angry with you, Justin. You lied to me. uh, Is not a very interesting scene because all the cards are on the table. Um, But if I walk in and I said, oh, hey, I was speaking to so-and-so the other day and then I try to kind of catch you in the lie, you know, that's, that's far more interesting because there's a power dynamic there. And there's, you know, I'm not really saying what I mean. I'm using a strategy.
1: Right. Well, it's interesting you say that about advertising. I just did an uh, interview this morning, um, and I was, the question was asking me, uh, why do you think comics have so much power in the school system? Like, why are they such a useful tool? And the analogy that I use was that, Comics have the same power to get at kids that advertising does. It's this words and pictures. It sets up a juxtaposition. It sets up this relationship where they have to figure it out, where they make up the gap, and it makes them want a thing. And in comics, in the schools, you can, it flies under the radar. You know, ads are everywhere. Comics can be everywhere. People don't even notice them really anymore. And then they can say really profound, powerful things. Mm -hmm. In advertising, you leverage that profundity to make people want things. In comics, you can make them want a new idea, a new life, a new something else. Mm-hmm. Sometimes just the next issue of the comic. But, yeah. And yeah. if you ask someone what they think the most powerful
0: form of media be, most people would either say novels yeah. or they'd say movies. Right. And uh, I because think because
1: they forget advertising made them go to
0: get that book <laughs> yeah. or see that movie. That's true. Yeah. 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 But it it also I mean the the amazing things about comics and the incredibly arduous things about comics. Is that you are the writer? If if you choose to be, yeah. you are the writer. You are the cinematographer. You are the actor. You are wardrobe. You are makeup. You are editor. You are everything that a movie requires beyond you know marketing. Uh, that but in the form of this book. Yeah. So really, um, oh, every so everything is kind of on your shoulders. If the character is can't. Uh, deliver the line. I mean, it's not a matter of tone. It might be a matter of how the bubble is broken up or the expression on their face. But those, all of those responsibilities of storytelling fall on your shoulders, which is an opportunity. So I think when kids kind of see comic books, it's almost like, wow, I have the power, you know, cause I don't need the budget. Right. I could tell an amazing story as long as I can draw it and I can write it. You it's can be fun. about alligators
1: or spaceships. It costs the same mm-hmm. to draw. I yeah. Proclaim this planet. Trumania of the Burbank Galaxy. So Comrade is you helping everybody else. Um, What are you doing just for yourself? What's the project that's all yours?
0: Uh, I'm working on a full-length graphic novel for Bay Press right now. Um, nice. And I, I don't have a ton to share about it, but I am diving into long-form storytelling, and so that's why I'm doing so much research. I'm, I'm trying to learn as much as I can because I'm trying to develop uh, profound characters. I'm trying to develop some very... That
2: same thing we talked about at the beginning, getting bogged down in the research and spending all your time there instead of creating is a problem we've heard of like other friends running into as well. They spend months researching they Mm -hmm. don't have a page done yet it's it's fun to read like especially when it's a fun topic like just keep going and going and learning uh, and learning and handout
1: you did give during uh, presentations about making comics that's like here's a point system that you can keep track of while you're working on your comics and uh, you have and you color in the little dot every time you do one of the tasks research you have to put in 15 points before you get one before you get one star, like basically saying that research, yeah, it matters, but it's not writing. Researching isn't making comics. Mm -hmm. And so if you think, oh, I've worked so hard on my comic today by reading these 10 books, you actually didn't work on your comic. You did research, but that's a whole other thing. Yeah.
0: That's the, that's the lie that we tell ourselves, right? Is that, well, if I just keep adding pins to this Pinterest board, I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I'm progressing. Um, But that's the the two pages of my notebook is there's lessons and then there's putting those lessons into action. So um, I think with everything I'm learning, I'm trying to weave that into the actual document I'm forming, the the, the piece that's actually going to get me there. Um, You know, part of uh, getting the book deal was uh, doing a pitch. So I had character art, I had uh, some concept art, and I had uh, the skeleton of what I thought was a good story. Um, so after I had kind of developed those characters, I knew where they start. I know where they want to end. Um, and I had an idea for how the story was going to progress in an interesting and, um, uh, entertaining way. Then I felt like, okay, I'm going to present this to the publisher. And if they're all for it, I'll develop it further.
1: And you get the thing that you find hard. You've already stated you find hard to do for yourself, which is give yourself a deadline. As soon as the publisher's yes. on board, now you have someone else to answer to. Yeah. Really, yeah. it's yourself. Yeah, I but. find
0: I'm, I'm getting a lot better now. Like I, I think part of it, too, is uh, when you find that uh, project that you're really, really passionate about, um, as hard as it may be, you will make that time. I, I still need that other person a little bit. I need yeah. to know someone's waiting for me a little bit. But, to all yeah. of
1: you, because you, you all have creative uh, endeavors of your own. Do you find that it is hard harder to negotiate for the time from the other relationships in your life, when it's just you setting the deadline, the example I gave, yeah, so it's like, you know, as soon as I have a book with a publisher, if I say to my family, friends, acquaintances, I'm sorry, I have a deadline, I have to work on this book, they don't say, oh, he's picking that over me. They're saying, oh, he has a responsibility. Mm-hmm.
3: If you if you set the deadline yourself, then you also have the flexibility to change that deadline, right? And then they so you immediately you can't do that. Look, like, oh, I'll just do it later. And then right? that
1: then that horrible cloud of expectation from those other interpersonal relationships that he picked that or she picked that over me mm-hmm. looms Yeah. How I've, do you guys navigate those waters?
0: It tests your relationship for sure. Yeah, I'm very lucky. I've got the love of my life right now, and and when when I did the pitch, and I got the deal before i signed it we went for a walk and i told her you know if i sign this deal our life is going to change you know i'm going to be busy in the evenings i'm going to be working maybe you know 15 hours on a saturday getting some artwork done trying to reach a deadline and she said you have to do it you're gonna you're gonna regret it if you don't so
1: because you won't be you you won't Mm -hmm. be the person that you know Mm -hmm. you were when you fell in love, if you change it.
0: But then again, if I didn't have a deadline, then you'd have more time (laughs) to spend together. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or if I didn't have the book deal, then it might be like, well, well, make the time, you know? Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's, it's different for sure.
2: It's Uh, tough too. like, I I, logically, I try to say, just plan ahead and tell your significant other, like this Thursday and Sunday, I'm going to need to just shut, like go and work. I'm dead to you. But then there's those like, you know evening suddenly you'll be in the zone and you have like Mm -hmm. oh i know it. you have plans not really even plans like you're just supposed to go like hang out with somebody but like now you're caught up the muse is with you right well Mm -hmm. you've seen this happen to me here at the studio where it's like five o'clock and i'm like okay i gotta go home
1: for dinner and i'm caught in the mire of my own creative momentum it's so hard to stand up because I'm in the flow, and I have to remind myself it's here again tomorrow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have these, and I have a different scenario than you because yeah. you know I have two kids and my wife and a dog and all of these things to like look after when I get home.
2: Real responsibility. Real responsibility. <laughs>
1: well, but all responsibility is you know, it's all real because it's your relationships at stake, right? So how about you guys? How do you, Dan? Yeah, you no,
3: that's it? it's tough for me because, uh, and it it happens at my regular job as well because I spend a lot of evenings marking assignments and stuff for for my day job. So, I mean, it's been like this for a long time. So I just kind of get into the habit of, you know, doing the work after the kids go to sleep. And and that's kind of what I've gotten to the habit of doing. And that works out pretty well. But then I don't have a lot of time for myself or for
1: when I when I know that it's uh, becoming a problem for me now. I'm more aware of it now because my uh, Tara, my spouse, she will say, I don't want any of the leftovers this week, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Meaning, she means, by that it's our shorthand now, I know what she means. She means like, you, you can't use up your best self for every other meeting, project, and goal you have, and you just come home and be tired. Yes, this is your safe space. Yes, this is a place where you can be at peace. But, right, there's responsibilities that come with being in a relationship, being a father, all these things. You, you, can't, you can't serve us your leftover life when you get home mm-hmm. and that's really rang like, you know, we're talking about this list of uh, lessons, right? I revisiting the things that have put me on the trajectory towards only having the leftovers for other people and mm-hmm. trying mm-hmm. really hard the last couple of years not to do that.
0: Yeah, it's draining. It's, yeah. it's really hard and I get that 100% for sure. It's it's uh, It's, I think it's a struggle for everyone, honestly, whether you have a personal project that you're working on or you're working long hours, being present in everyday life is a struggle. It's really hard li- to live in the present and not the past or the future and what you need to get done. Cause I like being busy. I like being up oh, on yeah. my feet. I like toiling. And uh, you know, if it's, if I didn't have uh, my fiance, I'd probably just be doing that all day. Early bird gathers no moss. Rolling stone catches the worm, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> what is something that you do to stay present? Um, I, I, the habit I've gotten
0: into is just kind of deciding I'm just making a conscious decision tonight after this time, once I've accomplished this, I'm going to be present um, for the rest of the night or, you know, we're going to like this. build a wall in your psyche. Like I'm not going yeah, to think exactly. about those
1: things. I'm just going to. Yeah. Be here.
0: Cause I, I, I mean uh, there are times where, you know, if work is really intense, I've got to make a decision that I, I can't make any progress tonight because I need to work on something else. Uh, there are other problems I need to solve right now. Um, and, and that's really tough. Um, but you know, there are times where I can't sleep at night cause I've got so many ideas rushing through my mind. I've got to write them down. Um, I usually just stay up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll do that too. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, I think you just need to make a deal with yourself that you're going to have a, an end point and then you're going to direct your energy towards
1: something else that's really, really valuable in your life. How about you, Justin? We're just going to go around the table and gather good advice. How do you stay present?
2: I don't know. Come back to me. Come back to you. I
1: I observe how you stay present, which is funny that you're having, maybe you do it so often that you don't even know it. Dan. I don't. You just don't. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not very good at it. Honesty. I like this. I
3: have, I have a real problem with like my brain is off somewhere else quite frequently. So uh, to me, I think I'm going to try and do what Matt is describing here and, and, uh, try just to make a conscious decision to stay present because my I'm always thinking about other, even right now, I'm thinking about something else while you guys are doing this, right. sorry. Well, you you
0: also have a tribe at home, right? How many kids do you have? Three
3: kids. Got three yeah, kids. yeah, but the, the thing is, they're they're old. They're, they're about the same age as Greg's children, so they're old enough that they can do their own things and they're mm-hmm. not always clamoring for my attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, I'm also trying to encourage them to kind of be creative and to do their own things. Like, you know, um, my daughter is quite a good artist. Uh, and so she, I'm trying to foster that within her and that kind of thing um, but like I said once they go to bed then I'm working on something so that's been I don't know it, it's difficult I do have to kind of put things to the side um, while my kids are around and that kind of stuff but it is it's a challenge for me for sure I have a hard time with it uh,
1: I did a thing yesterday so um, dr. Jonathan Ball was in the studio yesterday doing it we were collaborating on a project so he was in there and i was just having a horrible time getting focused on and i said it out loud i said like i can just not get down to the thing i have to do and he said write down everything that's distracting you Mm -hmm. like be observe the distraction don't give into it but take a moment to say like this thing oh i want to check twitter for that thing Oh, I have this email I have to check. Oh, I have this other thing. And he said it will become essentially your list of things to do later,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which you haven't let yourself be distracted in now. And at first I was like, oh, well, you know, I, I know how to run my creative life. That's fine. But I did it anyway as a like, just like to be open to a new system. Mm-hmm. Man, did it ever work. Yeah. I got right down into like two hours of just silently focused. And every time a different thing came up, I just wrote down what it is I wanted to do. Yeah. And afterwards it was my list of things to
0: do it can be really really powerful doing that um, i've i've haven't done it very often but there was uh, a moment where things weren't my my job at the time wasn't really going in a great direction i felt really conflicted i wanted to just you know press through it i thought you know maybe there are hills and valleys and this is just a really deep valley right. and i couldn't sleep there were there's a week i just there i didn't sleep for two or three days and uh, i finally decided i just need to I need to write these thoughts down because they just keep circling around in my head. And I wrote down everything I thought was going wrong, everything I was doing wrong, everything wrong that I thought was being done to me. And eventually I got down to it and I just wrote down, I'm sorry. And I wasn't saying I'm sorry to anyone else, I was saying I'm sorry to myself because I felt like I was just failing myself in every way. And then I just like bawled my eyes out and I slept like a baby.
1: Right, you had like a backstop. Of mm-hmm. all these emotions, you're not able to get out. Yeah. So you just needed a place to do that. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. Um, We're coming back to you. How do you stay present?
2: I, yeah, yeah, I don't. <laughs> now that I um, said it, it's okay for you yeah, to say it. Um, see, it's funny because I, would... I have
1: a different view of you. So okay. I'd like to hear what you say and then I'll tell you what I see. So
2: what I try to do is if I'm going to be in a situation where I can't work, I try to Um, prioritize things that I can be doing in that moment so if I have access to my phone I'll be writing up um, I'll be I have some stories like in the notes of my phones that I'll be working on those or I'll be like drafting some emails when I can't be at my computer or I've got some traditional things where again if I can't be painting on the computer I can work on these other things and then when that's not an option I just have to like promise myself okay you're gonna be able to get back to work tomorrow you can do all those things tomorrow like the time when you're gonna be back and doing artwork is coming
1: see i observe though despite all of those things i see you do mm -hmm. right i do them too but i also notice that you take time for yourself you go off you know you go boxing twice a day you know you just turn the whole world off and you go be a different place which i don't have the discipline to do And so I look at that as like, this is a thing that I could get better at is, you know, and I've started exercising more as a result of watching the net benefit because you come
2: back so focused. I think that's, yeah, getting a bit of injection of like social, um, like we had a lot of friends there and then... I'm. And then you punch them. And then punch them, yeah. (laughs) Um, And just endorphins as well. And it's so convenient. It's not really like it's next door. So I'm not taking... I'm not going anywhere else. It's almost like it's part of being here is going there now. I associate the studio with boxing. Right. If I'm here and. That explains why you take a swing at me every now and then. Every now and then. I
1: see. (laughs) Interesting. Um, How are we doing for time there? I noticed you checked. 10.53. 10.53, Okay. So we'll we'll edit out the part where we checked your time. (laughs) We'll round out. Is there something else that we should or you'd like to? Do you have like a final thought you really want to say? Final thoughts. Oh, my God. You. That's a lot of pressure. Come final back thoughts. to me. Come back Be good. To me. No, we can't. It's the final oh, thoughts. Oh, it's the final There's thought. No oh, my God. To come back. I'll turn the little sketch back onto you. Notice how I've added to it. Mm. It's now someone just talking about the bad things I love of that. the
0: bad things. I love that so much. Right?
1: Um, so,
0: yeah, I'd say that um, I'm trying to think of um, your audience right now. I'm getting really, like... Okay, so first, let's First talk, year advertising right now. I'm just let's get about what your audience listener. cares about.
1: The dear listener wants to make a project. Yes. They want to do yes. something. They stay up all night because they can't get the negative thoughts out of their head. Mm-hmm. And they don't know when or how to start. What's mm-hmm. the advice you would have for them? Um, no one's going to show you their day one work.
0: So everything that's inspiring you right now is day 3,500. Um, It's it's very easy to look at the great work that's out there and feel like you can't start, um, but you're just looking in the wrong place right now. Like never at any one time during this podcast did I talk about my failed music career. Right, I never talked about the band that I played in and how you know I never could cut it as a guitarist. Like. You know, people don't talk about their failures. Things they don't talk didn't work. about yeah. the things that didn't work. I think we need to get better at that. Maybe is talk about how much uh, you know day to day stuff needs to happen in order to get there. But you know, the day to day stuff can be really exhilarating. Um, you know, I'm I'm developing a very large piece of work right now. And I could think about how daunting that is, but when I make that little bit of progress and I feel like I discovered something about my character or I can anticipate the decision they're going to make in a scene that's going to really tell the audience about who they are, that's exhilarating. I feel really excited
1: for someone to pick up this book one day and love what they read. People to share their day one work. So I have... You know, I wrote two complete novels that are terrible before I wrote my first comic. Right. And I don't tell everyone Mm -hmm. when they're like, hey, you know, how'd you get into comics? They don't say, well, I wrote two really awful novels that (laughs) were so bad I'm embarrassed that I even did them.
0: I I had to write a, uh, I I wrote a bio for the At Bay Press website the other day, and I really struggle with that because part of me was like, I really want to talk about my failures right now. Like, wouldn't that be brave? (laughs) I wasn't brave enough. I was like,
2: no, I'm going to focus on the good stuff. I always Uh, appreciate when I find an artist that is so good, it makes me angry, like what we talked about at the beginning. mm -hmm. When you go into their portfolio, they have everything. You can go like three, four, 10 years back and see like, oh, they used to suck. And, Mm -hmm. like, you can see them get better and better and better until, like, they blow your mind. But way back then, like, they were just as, you know, they're struggling like everybody else. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. No one was overnight success. No Mm -hmm. one just grows talent overnight.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. And I'm, I mean, we've talked about it before. The whole concept of talent, I believe, to be a fallacy to begin Mm -hmm. with. It's skill.
0: Right? Yeah. Determination.
1: You trade your childhood for the thing you're good at. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, this has been Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. I encourage you to join the fight and make comics.